we are doing the, the London Baptist Confession of Faith, chapter 1. And this morning I shall touch on paragraph 8. So, uh, to those of you who are new, who perhaps might not know this, um, the Reformed Baptist Church, our church, is a confessional church. What that means is that we hold to a confession. There's a particular confession that we hold to, that guides us in our work. Um, we have a statement of faith that we hold to. And that statement of faith that we hold to is, the land, is known as the London Baptist Confession of Faith of 1689. And today, uh, as I mentioned, we shall touch on chapter 1 which is titled, Of the Holy Scriptures. Of the Holy Scriptures. And my focus this morning shall be on paragraph 8. I believe the last time we did the confession, Brother Tapiwa took us through the confession. He touched on paragraph 7, on the clarity of Scripture. This morning, I will touch on paragraph 8. And I'd like to title it the universality or the availability of scripture. And I'll, I'll explain that as we, as we go on. Now let us go into our confession. To those who have it, I believe every member of BRBC should have a copy of their confession. Whether in their phone or as a hard print like mine here. I know it's heavy, but... Uh, to those who do not have, those that have, may you please share with uh, those that do not have the, the confession. I shall read paragraph 8 of chapter 1 of the Holy Scriptures. The Old Testament in Hebrew, which was the native language of the people of God of old, and the New Testament in Greek, which at the time of the writing of it was most generally known to the nations, being immediately inspired by God and by his singular care and providence, kept pure in all ages, coma, are therefore authentic, so as in all controversies of religion, the church is finally to appeal unto them. But because these original tongues are not known to all the people of God who have a right unto and interest in the scriptures and are commanded in the fear of God to read and search them, therefore they are to be translated into the vulgar, that is um, common, the common language of every nation unto which they come that the word of God dwelling plentifully in all, they may worship him in an acceptable manner and through patience and comfort of the scriptures may have hope. Amen. Amen. Now, this paragraph that I just read, this short paragraph that I just read, it touches on two very important subjects. The authors of the confession who wrote down this confession of faith 
um, they want to make clear these two subjects that it touches. Firstly, they want to make clear the authenticity of Scripture, the genuineness of Scripture. And secondly, they want to make clear the necessity of translation, the necessity of translating Scripture. And these are two very important subjects. These two notions they are trying to promulgate here are predicated on what the confession is already established in earlier paragraphs. The first is according to paragraph one of the confession. It states that the Holy Scripture is the only sufficient, certain, and infallible rule of all saving knowledge, faith, and obedience. That's the first um, point this all of this is, um, is predicated upon, it's based upon. The second point it is based upon is um, according to paragraph 6 of the Confession, which says that the whole counsel of God covering all things necessary for his own glory, man's salvation, faith and life is either expressly set down or necessarily contained in the Holy Scriptures. So paragraph 8 is based upon that premise. It's based upon the premise that the authors of this confession, they believe this about the Scriptures. They believe that the Scriptures, they are the only sufficient, certain, and infallible rule of all saving knowledge, faith, and obedience. Secondly, they believe that the whole counsel of God covering all things necessary for His own glory, man's salvation, faith and life is either expressly, ex expressly mentioned in the scriptures or they are necessarily contained in the scriptures. So this is what is forming the basis of paragraph 8. This is what is forming the basis of um, why they see that there is a necessity for the translation of scriptures. Now, these two quotes that I that I just mentioned from earlier paragraphs that we have discussed in this uh, Sunday school lesson establishes the importance and necessity of scripture for men's salvation, faith, and obedience. The scriptures are necessary. And if the, uh, what theologians call the missio dei, the mission of God in the world, that is the spreading of the gospel to the ends of the earth from coast to coast, as Psalm 72 says. If disciples are to be made from nations, as Matthew 28, 16 says, if the vision John saw in heaven, in Revelation chapter 5, where people from all tribes and nations are gathered before the throne of God, worshipping the Lamb who was slain, if that is to be fulfilled, if that is to be realized, then the scriptures must be made available to all these people groups. But one huge challenge stands in the face of this quest or mission. And this is what the authors of the confession are trying to handle with paragraph 8 that we just read. And 
even as they mentioned in um, the part A of paragraph 8, where, of course, the authors of the confession, they recognize the Old Testament scriptures, which are written in Hebrew, um, which was the language of the people of God, as the confession mentions. Um, Romans chapter number 3, verse 2, says that the Jews has been entrusted the oracles of God. The Old Testament scriptures um, that Jesus read in this day, it was written in Hebrew. So, they, the authors of the confession, they recognize the Old Testament scriptures, which are written in Hebrew. The language of the people of God um, in the ancient times. And they also recognized the New Testament written in Greek, which was um, during the period of the New Testament, which was uh, widely known by many um, uh, during that period, during that period uh, of the New Testament era, uh, from AD 0 going onwards. Um, and um, I'm sure most of you know that vast majority of the New Testament was written in Greek. And all of this is um, it's because of a man called Alexander the Great, who in the, um, around uh, the third century, the fourth century before Christ, he went on a quest to conquer the whole world. And you as a Greek native, he went on a quest to conquer the whole world and he spread the Greek culture um, across the entire world from Africa, Europe. There isn't um, a place in the world that the Greek culture didn't spread to. So uh, it, is, it is what is known in history as the Hellenization of the world. So by the time that the New Testament era began, the Greek culture had been spread across, uh, across the globe. And that is the reason why majority of New Testament authors, they wrote most of their books in Greek. So the New Testament uh, books, majority of them, they were written vastly in, they were written vastly in, in Greek. So the authors of the confession, they recognize these two versions of scripture as being immediately inspired by God as the confession states. These two were written, they were inspired by God. These were men that were inspired by the Holy Spirit as um, 1 Timothy 3, uh, 16 suggests. These are, these are men that were inspired by the Holy Spirit and they paint down what, the, what God was saying to men. So they recognize these two versions. Firstly, the Old Testament that is written in Hebrew, which the Israelites heard for a long time. And secondly, the New Testament, which is written in Greek. And they recognize them as authentic. The authors of the confession recognize them as genuine. And the fact of their preservation, even up to date, the fact that we have these scriptures up to date, even now, in thousands and thousands of years later, it just shows you how God cares about people coming to the knowledge of the truth. It just shows you how God in his providence cares about uh, people coming to the knowledge of the truth and knowing the truth that is laid out in the scriptures. 
However, even though that has been established as a matter of fact, the challenge is, as the gospel is being spread across various people groups, as Christianity is spreading from place to place, not all people understood these languages. Not all people understand Hebrew, which the Old Testament is written in. Not all people understand Greek, which the uh, vast majority of the New Testament is written in. And that problem necessitates the translation of the scriptures into the vernacular, into the common language, into the language that is common to those people groups where the gospel has been sh shared. But even in this endeavor to make the gospel, the scriptures, available in the language of the common people, one rule of thumb that the confession makes is that in the case of controversies in regards to these translations, and indeed uh, we are all aware that there are quite a number of controversies, there are quite a number of textual variants and different differences to date, the confession encourages that the church goes or appeals to the original Hebrew Old Testament and uh, or Greek New Testament texts. That's what the confession says. That um, so as in all controversies of religion, the church is finally to appeal unto them, referring to the Old Testament Hebrew and to the New Testament Greek texts. So for those, of our, for those of us amongst us who are maybe very zealous, um, they can go and learn Greek and, and Hebrew <laughs> to, study these, uh, to study these texts. But friends, be comforted this morning to know that majority of the work has been done for us. Like, for instance, nowadays we have Bible applications that can give you the Greek a Hebrew version or Hebrew version of uh, perhaps a text you might be unclear of in the scriptures. And this is um, more crucial, I guess, when, when dealing with those very literal words-to-word -word translation, such as the KJV and the a new American Standard uh, Bible, um, so that one does not lose the meaning of some of these words, especially in the current context. So it's good to refer to these Greek, uh, uh, to, to these Greek and Hebrew texts um, when something is not clear in the scriptures, to understand it uh, in a better way. But friends, why is this important? Why is the confession of faith mentioning this? Why does it encourage the church to appeal or refer to the original languages? Well, friends, it is because there are some critics today, and this has become quite popular since the rise of liberalism in the 19th century. There are a lot of scholars that have come up and tried to disprove Christianity um, because there are quite a number of 
different translations. There are quite a number of different versions. There are quite a number of textual variants. Postmodern scholars want to reject the authority, the inerrancy, and the sufficiency of Scripture because there are different versions of the Bible. That's what they want to do. They want to throw the Bible away because of that. There's a brother um, that I know particularly who, when you always meet him, he always say, um, you don't know the politicization behind the translation of the Bibles. You don't know the politics that is behind the translation of the Bible. And I always wonder, I always wonder when people ask such questions, I always wonder, where do you want to go with that? Where do you want to go with this? And what I've discovered is most times when people do that, it is because they are uncomfortable truths that are in the scriptures. They don't want to acknowledge. They don't want to accept the doctrine of the Trinity. They don't want to accept that women cannot be pastors. So they want to play some gymnastics. But, friends, you can't really invalidate, invalidate the word of God. If you do not like the 700 plus translations that are there, then that is, no ex- that is no excuse for you. That is no excuse for you for denying the word of God. Please, you are at liberty to read the original Hebrew Old Testament and Greek Septuagint. The Apostle Paul read the Greek Septuagint, which is the, the Greek version of the um, Hebrew Old Testament. He was quoting from it. So, if you think that the translations have been politicized, then you are liberty to read the New Testament in Greek. No one stops you. If you think that the KJV was translated by um, if, by colonialists, if you hate the Brits so much, if you think that the KJV, the King James Asian, was translated by people who hate black people, by white supremacists, friends, you are free to read the New Testament, which is in Greek. Majority of it was uh, the Greek, it was, it was written in um, Alexander, the, the, the Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the Old Testament. It was written in Egypt. It was the um, Egypt king who uh, ordered some Jewish scholars to translate the Hebrew Old Testament into the Greek version for majority of Jewish Greek people that were in that time. So it was written in Africa. If, so if you have a problem with the King James Version, go ahead read that. You, you have no excuse really to invalidate the word of God. You have no excuse really to deny the sufficiency and authority of scripture. But what we won't allow you is for you to then wake up and say I want to make my own translation. What we won't allow you is for you to wake up and say I want to make my own Bible. 
No, 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 no. We, we won't allow you to, to do that. We won't allow you to wake up and say, I want to make my own Bible like that. Jehovah, Jehovah's Witnesses, like the JWs, and remove certain important portions of Scripture and deny the deity of Christ. We won't allow you to do that. You are a liberty to question the King James Version, but you are not a liberty to take away from the Word of God. There is, um, yeah, if you do that, we will we'll have serious problems. Amen, brother. There, there is an original a text which is immediately inspired by God, as the confession puts it. If you add or remove from that, you are adding to the word of God. In Revelation 21, it gives a solemn warning to people who do that. You, you cannot do that. You, you are maligning his word. So please be very careful with that. If you come up with your own, the Book of Mormon, as the Mormons are like Joseph Smith did. Oh, I had one which is uh, written from. Uh, Neo-Pan-Africanist uh, uh, perspective by the Bible according to Maponga. We won't allow you to do that. If, if, or if you try to come up with your own feminist Bible and you replace God the Father with God the Mother, you will have serious problems when you do that. So, we do see, friends, that as the gospel spreads from shore to shore, city to city, nation to nation, translation was required. Translation was necessitated to make the word of God available to the common man. For instance, when the Jewish people were in exile in Babylon, when the people of God had been sent in exile in Babylon, an Aramaic version of the Hebrew Old Testament was made for the encouragement of the Jewish people that are living in exile in Babylon. In 130 BC, before Christ, the Septuagint, which I said earlier is a translation of the Old Testament Hebrew Bible into Greek, was completed for Greek-speaking Jews. It's what Paul used to quote a lot when he was quoting the Old Testament. Around 382 AD, the Pope, he sent his secretary, uh, who is known as Saint Jerome, to some of you who are familiar with church history, he sent Saint Jerome to produce a new translation of, of the Bible, which was predominantly in Hebrew and Greek, into Latin. Uh, this was when the uh, Christianity was moving towards Rome um, and they did this because um, the Septuagint versions were rather messy and what Jerome did uh, was very important work that he did he learned, he had to learn Hebrew and um, he was able to access the, the, the scriptures in both Hebrew and Greek and there is a 
quote that is attributed to Saint Jerome, which is, uh, he says that the ignorance of scripture is an ignorance of Christ. We really cannot know Christ apart from the scriptures. There are people who wake up and say, I saw Christ in a vision. Yeah, I'm, I'm afraid for those people. Ignorance of the scriptures is it's, it's ignorance of Christ. The Christ that we worship, that saves us, is revealed in the scriptures. The resulting translation from St. Jerome, was, which was produced in the Latin of the common people, is known as the Vulgate. And apparently, we do realize many of the things uh, that were adopted into the English versions. Um, we, they are attributed to the translation that St. Jerome did. So words such as scripture itself, it was adopted from uh, St. Jerome's version, the Vulgate. Words such as salvation, justification, and regeneration have made its way into the English um, from the Latin in the Vulgate. During the, um, moving on, during the Dark Ages, there was a man called Peter Waldo, a Frenchman. He translated the Bible into the common language of people in France. So what had happened after the Bible had been trans um, translated into Latin, the Catholic Church eventually became corrupt and the Bible was no longer uh, available to the common people. It was available only to the clergy, to the priests. And it's still even uh, here today. Most Catholics people, I remember during evangelism, we met uh, an old Catholic guy. You were saying, uh, we asked him if you know the word, if you have a Bible. He said that I don't, we just depend on what the priests uh, say. And that mindset is still there. But this is what Peter Wilder was countering. This is what he was objecting against. Um, he translated the Bible into the common language of people in France. And what happened after he did that, the Waldensians, uh, these were people that were following him, they were known after him. They were declared heretics um, in the 11th century by the Pope. In the 14th century, England, John Wycliffe translated the scriptures from the Latin Vulgate into Middle English for ordinary people. And after he died, the Catholic Church actually excommunicated him. They exhumed his body and bent it. But Unlike those before him, Wycliffe had an effect that rippled across Europe. John Haas, which followed after him, um, and others in Europe, in Prague, produced scriptures in Hungarian and Bohemian. And what happened to John Haas, I'm sure some of you who are fanatics of the Reformation know, was declared a heretic by the Catholic Church, and he was promptly bent to the stake for translating the Bible into the language of the common people, for believing that the priesthood was not only for a special kind of people, but for all believers, that all believers should know the word of God. Um, and then in the 16th century, 
the Gutenbergs, um, there was an invention uh, by a guy called Gutenberg of the printing press. The Gutenberg uh, printing press came into play and that invention was revolutionary because it meant that printing Bibles printing Bible, Bibles were now being printed on a wide scale. There were new distribution possibilities uh, for the Bibles. The Bible translation scene was altered completely. And by 1600, 15 versions of the entire Bible had appeared in 15 European languages. William Tyndale's translation of the Bible into the English of the 1530s stand up, stands out for English-speaking people. And he coined some of the many expressions that communicate powerfully uh, some of the truths in Scripture. For instance, his use of the accurate term for missing the mark to sin was masterful. Did you know of that? <laughs> in all this vision, it was just when they would refer to sin, it was just missing the mark. <laughs> so he coined that to sin, which we uh, used um, popularly all, um, in all places now. <laughs> the King James Version, um, um, which was authorized and published by King James in 1611, it retained much of... Um, Tyndale's um, grand, uh, groundbreaking work. And it was also done with the same mindset that the Bible should be available for the ordinary people, for the common people. And in the 19th century, the growth of missions also improved the rate of translation all the way across Africa, India. Um, for instance, I, I'm sure some of you know of a guy called William Carey. He was a he had a strong zeal for missions. He translated the Bible into 40 languages in, in India. And, and also there are things such as uh, colonization, uh, <laughs> the spread of British imperialism. I'm, I, I'm sure uh, I know that there are some people who, um, who might still have uh, some some bitterness over, over that. But God used colonization uh, in his providence to get the word of God to reach to us. Not only is the Bible translated in our language now, but now uh, we have been taught into the ways, into the language of the Greeks. We can read the King James Version. Isn't God good? God uses... Um, uh, things that are as horrible as that to spread, to advance his purposes um, in the world. And as of today, the Bible has been translated into seven, 24 languages. And there's still a lot of work that is to be done. I know for, for sure the Shona Bible, it needs a lot of, uh, it needs a lot of work yeah, there's a verse, it translates uh, wrongly in 1 Corinthians. Is it 1 Corinthians 6 or 5? Uh, which says that uh, neither drunkards or the sexual immoral will inherit the kingdom of God. The Shona version, 
Uh, the verse we say is drunkards will not inherit the kingdom of God. The shorter vision translated is Vanumbu uh, Maduro. <laughs> As those who occasionally drink uh, will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's a gross tra- translation of the Bible. That's the mishandling the truths of Scripture. What is it supposed to say? It's supposed to say, yeah, yeah. That, that's more accurate. <laughs> I think that explains why uh, why a lot of Zimbabweans are teetotalers. Like, why, yeah. <laughs> so, um, I just want to end on this. Why, why is it important that the scriptures are translated? Why, why is this necessary? The, um, firstly, the confession states that um, um, the people of God have a right unto um, knowing the word of God. They ought to have an interest in the scriptures and are commanded in the fear of God to read and search them. Therefore, they are to be translated into the vulgar. It's saying that the people of God, they not only have the right to know the scriptures, but that's how they are saved. As, as I said earlier, it's predicated upon the truth uh, that is laid in paragraph one, that the Holy Scripture is the only sufficient, infallible, and authoritative word of God, that we come to the saving knowledge and obedience of the faith. So, the people of God are commanded to search the scriptures, to know the scriptures. You, you cannot just be a Christian. You have no excuses as a Christian to say, um, I do not know the scriptures. You, you ought to know the scriptures. You are commanded to know the scriptures. You really have no excuse, really. Majority of work has been done into translating the scriptures into the common language, into the vernacular. So anyone who says they are a Christian if they do not know the scriptures, you really ought to question them. You really ought to question them. And then, secondly, um, translation is how God advances his mission, his miss your day in the world, spreading the gospel from shore to shore. Um, the Great Commission, it's, it's how it is spread throughout the world. That is how people that are lost, those unknown people, that is how they come to the saving knowledge of God. It is through translation. It is the means that God uses. That is why men like William Carey extra translate the Bible into 40 different languages in India. Now, why is that important to know? It is important to know because our mystical, Pentecostal friends, they don't believe that. I read that during the time of the Azusa Street, um, 
they were sending missionaries from the Azusa, from the mission came that came from there. They were sending missionaries. And what they were telling these missionaries, you just come to Azusa Street, you are laid hands on it, you start speaking in tongues and go into Africa, go into India. Because they thought they had a gift that was given at Pentecost, where people were speaking in common languages. So they just thought that if they would get the baptism of the Holy Spirit, as they were saying, and they go into Africa, they'll be able to come to Zimbabwe and just start babbling Shona. They experimented with that. And imagine they failed dismally. They failed dismally. They would go into different lands and start babbling and people gibberish. People would not hear what they were saying. So God used translation to spread his mission across, across the world. And then even as the confession also says um, why it's also necessary for uh, the scriptures to be translated so that um, the word of God may dwell plentifully in believers as Colossians chapter 3 verse 16 uh, says that the word of God may initially dwell in believers that's why the scriptures have to be translated into a language that people understand and then also so that the Christians, the saints as the confession says, they may worship him in an acceptable manner. Yeah, you, you, you do not worship God in a way that you just choose. You, you don't just decide on Sunday, on the Lord's Day, you just come and have dramas. And it, there is a regulative principle of worship. The scripture dictates how we ought to worship God. You don't just decide, this is how we are going to worship God. You, you don't get to do that. The scriptures um, dictate what the worship of God looks like. And you really have no excuse. You, you cannot say you do not know because the scriptures have been translated into the language that you know. And um, lastly, and through patience and comfort of scriptures, may have hope. It is for our benefit that people have hope that um, the, the Bible has been translated into the common language of people. So friend, uh, as I end, I just want to encourage you that that Bible that you are holding in your phone, um, if you open your phone right now, you have many translations that you have. That dusty Bible that is on your shelf, there are thousands and thousands of people that do not have access to it. There are people that were literally bent to the stake for translating that Bible. So may, may, may that cause you to take the word of God seriously. Amen. I will leave this time for...